Welcome to a new uh, episode of uh, Beam Voice. Today, I have the pleasure to talk again with Andrew Baranowski, who's a Beam consultant from US, from Chicago. Uh, he has been uh, my guest in September, and we had a very interesting conversation. And now we want to catch up and uh, dive a little bit deeper on the, on the context of him. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Petru. Thanks for having me. Nice, man. It's nice to have you back. Uh, let's, uh, can you please uh, very briefly uh, present yourself for, uh, for uh, the people that don't know who are you? Sure, Petru. So I'm Andrew. I live out here in cold and gray Chicago on the north side. And I've been working in BIM since about 2000, 2008, 2009 in a variety of capacities. And uh, the last couple of years, I've been doing a BIM consulting service where I'm working directly with clients to help them understand that. Today, I'm here to talk about some of my findings from both that real life experience and my studies at Middlesex University. Nice. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, Petru, we're talking about uh, something a little more esoteric, but I am going to bring it down to the real world. And that's the context of BIM. Okay. What do you want to do? What does that supposed to mean? What is this context of BIM? But uh, please, if you have a presentation, start sharing your screen. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we just kick into it? Today, though, as we mentioned, we're going to change things up a bit. And we're going to take a step back, a big step, and talk about why we're doing BIM. Now, love it or hate it, one thing we can all agree upon is that BIM has had a major impact upon our industry. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you sit. It has somehow affected what it is we do. And the last 10 years in particular has seen all of us making major investments to all things BIM. Now, when I say this, I'm just not just talking about, you know, those little software add-ins we use day to day basis. I'm talking about big things with global reach. So a few examples you may recognize are the ISO 19650. So this came out in December 2018. And what it's done is for the first time ever, no matter where you sit, no matter what your role, no matter what project, we're all working towards a common unified BIM standard for mutual success. And then we've seen websites such as the BIM Dictionary pop up. This is now available in over 25 languages. So again, no matter where you sit, no matter what your role, no matter what the project, each and every one of us is working with a common set of defined terms. Then we've also seen the advent of dedicated university programs. And the key here is that this isn't a single class in a greater course of study, but an entire course of study dedicated to BIM, such as the one I attended at Middlesex. And beyond that, we've all seen a myriad of work groups pop up to address every niche and specialty topic imaginable and bring them into the BIM universe. So what this tells us is that there's a lot of people getting a lot of benefit from all things BIM, because otherwise, there would not be this depth of investment into it. And if BIM didn't work, it simply would have faded away a long time ago. But then this brings us back to our original question, why BIM? Now, if I toss that out in a general sense, most people would respond with something about time or cost savings and being efficient. If you think about that, though, that has more to do with the benefits and outcomes from BIM, really good benefits and outcomes that we should all maximize. What I'm getting at is really, why did we be begin this BIM journey? Or what is the root of BIM? So another thing we know about BIM is that even if you really love it, 
BIM isn't always easy. And some days it can downright be a pain because it takes a lot of effort, a lot of investment, a lot of development. But yet we keep doing it and it has grown throughout our industry. So that tells us something else. It tells us that we must be getting something of value, something big, something good that we simply weren't able to get using traditional processes and methods. Otherwise, we couldn't justify the effort. So in other words, we can't be doing the same thing only faster. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned that I received my master's degree in building information modeling from Middlesex University. While I was working on my thesis, I had the opportunity to travel around England. I was meeting with a variety of architects, contractors, facility maintenance professionals, and archaeologists. And in setting up these conversations, I made it a point to reach out to a very disparate group of people. Yet despite this, something interesting happened. Nearly every single person I spoke to gave me the exact same answer to a question I hadn't asked them. And in some cases, they seemed very determined to keep the conversation focused on that. And the answer, it was one simple word, context. And I know what you're thinking, that's it? It's so obvious, so simple, but yet, as we all know in life, just because something sounds simple doesn't mean it is. And so I took this back with me to work, and I began this BIM consulting service I had mentioned at the beginning here, where I work with large corporations and the people that manage their facilities to help them understand what BIM is, how it can benefit their operations, and what it takes to actually make that happen. And as I went through this day in and day out, this word context just remained plastered at the forefront of my mind. I couldn't shake it. And as simple as it sounded, it remained rather elusive, not in the sense that it was unattainable, but it was just so darn hard to actually articulate it. But as I drilled down and worked with the clients and understand what it was they were actually going for and what I needed to do to support that when we hit it, it really dawned on me, you know what? This is why we're actually doing BIM, because what our traditional methods and processes never allowed to do was to capture this context in the way we needed it. That is, because each and every one of us, no matter what we do, every day we rely on context to help us make the right choice and move forward. And BIM was set up as the perfect vehicle, the perfect medium to capture that for us in a very usable, meaningful way. So let's take a look at an illustrated example. So, oh, actually, let's start by defining our term. So context is the parts of something written or spoken that immediately precede and follow a word or passage and clarify its meaning. Now, I don't know about you, but suddenly that sounds a bit more complex to me. So, Indeed. Yes. So another way we can break this down just to help wrap our arms around it is we can say the context is our who, our what, our when, our where, our why, and our how. Now, those six little questions are all much more understandable, but let's put this in terms of BIM. With BIM, so we're doing to BIM to FM, BIM level two, digital twin, whatever you want to call it. If we, if we take that facility, that asset, or even just a single piece of equipment in that building, we're going to maintain that for 10, 20, 30 plus years. And if we answer each of these questions in full, that leaves us with a rather significant home of information. That is the information we rely upon to do our jobs. And suddenly, at some point, we're going to have to sort it, filter it, query it, analyze it, and use it to better inform 
how we move forward with things. And in our traditional methods, it's just a pile of paper on the ground where BIM, when we follow that process in the ISO and we have open BIM formats and we utilize a comma and data environment, suddenly on the far end, we can pull this out in a very usable way that makes our lives easier. That is our future lives. And that's a pretty good thing. So now let's take a look at an illustrated example. Say you're a tech and you're sitting out in the field to deal with the piece of gear that's acting up. And you show up and you pull out whatever records are available. And this is what you're greeted with. Well, we can all see something is clearly amiss. But if we go back to our definition here, what we're lacking is what immediately precedes and follows that would clarify this for us. So we don't know what's going on here. So in other words, is our input correct or is our output correct? This leaves us with a couple options. Either we can guess, and guessing is never good, or perhaps we can do some backtracking and try and follow the paper trail. But you know what? That's going to take a lot of time. There's no guarantee we'll get the answer. And hey, we're on site and we're expected to fix it right now. So that leaves us in a rather precarious spot. Oh, come on. Papers? Papers are so easy to manage. Yes. Everybody knows where they are and nobody is, are, are, is using them. Well, if you, can, if you could see right off to the side of me, I have a stack of them, all perfectly ordered. But, but what we recognize this looking like in the real world is more often something like this, this, or this. Because in each and every one of these cases, someone made an honest effort to capture this context. Because it wasn't that they were going to need it that day or even the next, but they knew that somewhere in the future, me, you, themselves, someone was going to need to put this information to use in a meaningful way. But yet give it a couple years and perhaps some industrial lubricant and it's gone. It's really just a wasted effort. So what we're really doing with this context is we're capturing our history to bail out our future selves. Now, what is history? Well, history is the whole series of past events connected with someone or something. So when it comes to BIM, that might mean an entire city or development. It might mean a single building within that city. It might mean a single system within that building. It might mean a single piece of equipment within that system. Or it might mean the individual that is tasked maintaining and all the above. But regardless, this guy, this poor guy, needs this information, needs this context to do his job on a daily basis in the right way, in an informative way. So if it isn't clear by now, when it comes to BIM, context really matters. So. Let's take a step back and let's look at just a couple real world examples of things that went wrong long before we had BIM and take a look at what was the immediate problem? What was the context we were lacking? And how might that affect us moving forward where had we had BIM as an option, it would have helped us. So to begin, we're gonna visit Andrew at 19 years old. So I was working on my undergrad at Columbia College Chicago and I had a job helping out the groundskeeper at a local condo complex, uh, just doing odd jobs and light maintenance. And one day there was this light fixture by the front door that was acting up. And it was, it was very similar to this. And what we're showing here is just our standard lamp wiring. Black wire is hot, white wire, white wire is returned, green is drowned. Nothing complicated there. And so we pulled this fixture apart. And the first thing we notice is that only black wire was used, which, which isn't the end of the world because it all works the same. But nonetheless, it's, uh, it's, it's curious. 
And then we didn't have to dig too much further to discover that it wasn't that the fixture wasn't working, but the problem was that it was wired up really poorly. And for anyone that's never done it, to wire up a lamp and outlet a light switch, it's an incredibly simple operation, and you don't need to know anything about electrical to do it. In fact, it really takes more effort to bungle it up, but yet that's what we were dealing with. And the issue here is we don't know how this came to be. So the context we're lacking is, could we say that perhaps the individual that did this, maybe they were called in on their day off. They didn't have the right materials at hand. So they did the best they could with what they had available and essentially hacked it back together for that moment. It's less than ideal, but sometimes you're put in that spot. Many, year, many times over the years, I've been that guy where I've been forced to do less than ideal work under the circumstances. So that's a real thing. Or perhaps the individual that did this had no clue what they were doing, should have never been there in the first place, and really caused us a lot of problems. But again, because we don't have BIM, we don't have a meaningful way to track this down, we simply don't know. And the problem isn't fixing this light, because you know what? That only took a college kid a few minutes and about a dollar worth of wire. The problem is, how do we move forward? Because now we have to ask ourselves some questions. So if this individual didn't know what they were doing, there are several hundred of these light fixtures around the complex. Could we have other issues? Could faulty wiring be detrimental to our operations in any way? And where else might this person have worked? So do we need to plan for this? Should we be proactive in seeking it out? How will this affect our budget? Do we need to defer other maintenance so, and so forth? So just the simple thing, just using all black wire suddenly raises all the alarms. And I know a few of you are still thinking, well, okay, you know, it's just a simple light fixture. And you're right. My brother lives down the street from here and the place is still standing, so we're good. But what 20 plus years in the world of construction has taught me is that the big problems we have are never actually our problems because people have their eye on them and they're paying attention. It's really the little things that no one wants to pay attention to and ignores that have a way of festering and coming back to really bite us. So let's take a look at the smallest problem imaginable and scale up a bit. Specifically, Brandenburg Airport in Berlin. So for those of you that have never been, up until recently, the city of Berlin had three airports. You had Tempelhof in the center, that's the old military airport, which is shut down now, and they hold outdoor concerts on the tarmac. Pretty cool. In the south, you have Schoenefeld. That's the old Soviet bloc airport, which is a pretty big place to go through. In the northwest, you have Tegel, which is very easy to get to, and it has its charms, but it's hopelessly outdated. So the wise people of Berlin decided to consolidate these three facilities into this shiny new Brandenburg Airport. And it just opened in October of last year, which sounds great, only it's not a reason for celebration because it was originally scheduled to open in October of 2011, exactly nine years earlier. And so for nine years, they have spent nearly 16 million euro per month to keep this place up and running, even though it couldn't accept a single passenger. So do that math real quick, 16 million times 12 times nine. That is an obscene sum of money. And it's fabulous. Sorry for uh, interrupting you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that we are talking about Germany. Like they used to, be, they are very precise. They are like clockwork, right? 
So what happened here? I did not look into it, but it sounds fascinating how something like this was allowed to happen. Well, we're not in Germany, we're in Berlin. So those of you have, haven't been to Berlin, the people there will tell you very clearly, you're not in Germany, you're in Berlin. And they, they live a little differently there. So at the bottom, there's a link to an article. And you can Google this. There are many lengthy articles written on this project. And it's a prime example of everything not to do in your career. But as you read through it, there is a very long list of massive things that went wrong, huge failures. I mean, things where you can't imagine how someone ever missed in the first place. But what really stood out to me the most wasn't these big failures. It was, in fact, the tiniest problem they had. And that was that unapproved wall anchors, plastic wall anchors, were used to mount the entire fire suppression system. So in other words, they did not meet code. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, I'm a journeyman cabinet maker in the Chicago Carpenters Union. And the reason I bring that up is because when I did that work for years, what I did every single day was I mounted large, heavy objects to every surface imaginable. And I can tell you from firsthand of experience that there is no way to simply swap out a wall anchor. Once you've made that hole and popped it in, you're committed. So what we hear that throughout the entire course of construction, this whole system went in and not once did anyone ever look, take a look and say, you know what, we need to run out to the store to get a different box of wall anchors. That's, it's just so beyond belief, but, but, but let's dial in a little. So this is an airport. We had years and years of planning. The design and construction went from 2006 to 2011, five more years. And then from 2011, to last a uh, couple months ago, we had nine years of rework and commissioning. And over this time, clearly there were hundreds, if not thousands of people involved in this. And yet no one was able to pick this up. So in other words, no one had the context necessary to identify these problems. Because as we read up on this, people were coming, going left and right, but either records weren't kept and they were kept very poorly or new contractors would come on board who had no clue what happened before. And everyone's just operating in complete isolation. And BIM would have been the ideal solution to capture this information. Because you know when you have a multi-year project, then inevitably some people are gonna come, some are go, some are gonna retire. And hopefully not, but maybe someone will get fired off the job or whatever. But we need to capture this information to inform us. So the issue isn't even so much, how do we mount the system? or the years and years of litigation this project is going into. The issue we're faced with when dealing with BIM, where it'd be really helpful, is how do we move forward in our operations? Because what we do know is there's been endless years of ad hoc repairs and Band-Aid fixes. Repairs which weren't really documented, weren't really done in the best possible way. And how is this gonna trip us up down the road? Because someone now has to maintain this facility and keep it operational. And we can take a look at other airports, but you know that inevitably some simple process that only takes an hour, they're gonna open up that wall and suddenly it's gonna be a disaster. They're gonna find things that never should have been there. They're gonna find things done in ways unimaginable. And how do you plan to this? How do you budget this? How do you make your best effort going forward and proactively anticipate this and schedule to it? This is where BIM would have really helped us by capturing this context. Alas, it's a little too late for this, but these are real world things that happen. And this is why we need the context and why it is really so valuable. 
So how do we capture this? Well, if you've seen any of my presentations before, you know, I like to break it down into three broad steps. The first thing we need to do is define what we're doing. So in other words, we need a master plan. We need a strategy. We need a goals. We need purpose. It's not enough to just say, hey, we're going to do BIM because we want to save money. If you do that, it's going to fail. We need to really look at our operations and see where are difficulties, where are obstacles, where are inefficiencies, and could BIM be a viable solution to that? If so, who is going to do that and how do we incorporate it? So for example, does our accounting department want to take this information to do cost exercises? The, do our facilities people want to track our energy consumption? Does the marketing team want to use it for leasing activities? Do we want to incorporate augmented reality for other things? These are all reasonable assumptions, but even so, we still need to look at it and say, well, how will this help us? And then we need to drill down into it in a very specific way and say, okay, if we're going to do this, if we feel where there's a real return here, what specific information do we need to do that? And I mean exact. So one of the mistakes people make is they get too caught up on quantity quantity of information versus quality of information. So it isn't about having too much or too little. It's about having the right information to support our operational needs. And once we have that, we need to document it. In the world of BIM, that means we need our EIR, our exchange information requirements, as detailed in the ISO. We need our BEP, our BIM execution plan, which is written as a direct response to the EIR. And most importantly, if you take nothing else away from this, update your contracts to incorporate all of the above. If your contract hasn't been updated, it's a time bomb that's going to really work against you. So please, there's a brief article on my LinkedIn page I wrote, update your contracts, every single one of you. You refer here mostly to clients, right? To, to owners or, or, or uh, yeah, as yes, yes. So Yes, so that's an excellent point, actually, Patrick. To be clear, when I'm doing this, the people that need to define this are really the owners and the people that are handling these facilities because they drive what the design team's going to do, what the construction team's going to do, and ultimately what their own technical staff is going to do to support it. So yes, thank you for that clarification. And then finally, once this has been documented, we need to distribute it. And to whom? Well, to everyone, literally everyone who's going to be involved in it in some capacity. Over the years, as I work with a variety of clients, every so often there was one or two that had some sort of documentation. Now, we could debate the quality of it, but what always struck me as odd was they had a great reluctance to actually give it to anyone. And the whole point of doing this is to make your own life easier. And so if you don't hand this out to the people working for you, they don't know what you need and they can help you succeed. So it's better to give it to one or two people that don't need it than to miss someone along the way. Because this, if I'm on the design team, the very first thing before I begin doing any work at all is I want this in front of my face and I wanna have read through it very thoroughly and understand what I'm being asked to do. So there we have it. So where are we in the world of BIM now, Petru? Well, BIM works, BIM is real, and it's no longer the future. In fact, it's kind of old news. And that's really a great thing because the conversation has shifted to the point where now we're discussing, well, how do we get more from BIM? How do we realize the returns? And how do we make the most on our investment? And the key to doing that isn't to get caught up with all the software and cool gadgets, 
but to remain focused on the root of why we began this. And as long as we do that, as long as we keep that in mind, we're creating a plan to succeed. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you said something. Uh, uh, it was very, very interesting presentation. Thank you. Very, very nice thoughts. Um, at the end, you you concluded that we are not talking about like BIM is not something history, is something old. It's it's happening. We we try to think how can we do it right. Um, I still think that it's a little bit too optimistic, even though. Uh, I think we are in a phase where a lot of people understand they need to use them, they need to implement them, and at the same time, a lot of people or companies feel forced in a way because uh, the competition is doing it. And there, there is another category that are trying to do it, but still using the same concepts from before. Like, uh, if you want to use BIM, like like you show us there, you need to adopt a new approach. You need to try to see how can you implement what to what level can you implement ISO 9650, the guys guidance from there, right? What kind of documentation can you make for your organization and after that to employ on your projects to help you to achieve that, right? I right. still believe we are far away, but uh, from a um, conversation point of view, it's much more going on, but there are many, many actors still that try to use to, to go behind rules. But I, I don't try to, I, I am also always a positive guy. So uh, let's not focus on that. But this is a challenge. This is, uh, this is what I see. Uh, and I'm telling you this from Norway, where it's quite advanced. Like everybody knows what is like, we don't talk about like we should adopt. No. We think about how can we adopt it quicker, but you still find people that don't understand basic basic concept, and um, yeah, it's it's a learning process. I see um, a limited understanding of the um, level of effort needed to achieve this, and this is because of more reason. People, might, uh, some of them understand, they think they understand the situation, but they don't take measures. Like, how do you approach this? How do you plan to do this on your company for the next five or 10 years? Yeah, what do you think about this? Is just blabbering or? No, no, no. I, actually, uh, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, let, let's step back on a bit. So in doing this work, what I'm really trying to do is get at the, the head end of it. Because we all know if the owner puts it out there, that's the direction that's needed because the, the first misassumption is that somehow the design and construction team is going to magically know the owner's needs through osmosis. And we all know that doesn't work because when tasked with it, if we're not given any direction, we just do what works best for us. And that's the reality of it. So by going out there and speaking with all these clients I have just to help them understand what it really is tails, you see the light bulbs going on. And there have been instances where some, once they really understand what it takes and what that's going to mean, they lose interest. They say, oh no, we don't want that. Because they thought it was going to come in and tell them to purchase a software license. And then it would just 
all of a sudden take care of itself. And once I go in and I start talking about this process and how they're going to manage data, their eyes get real wide and they get, what is this guy talking about? He's crazy. Well, well, no, because I get that message that how come no one has ever told us this before? And that's really my message too. You're right. There's a lot of people that still don't understand, but that's why I'm spending my spare time doing up presentations and getting up early in the morning because we need to get this message out there more. And when it does go this way, when you read a very successful case study of which every year I'm seeing more and more, it's because they went through this. If we just let it languish and say, well, you know, someone, will, someone else will figure it out for us. Now that's really not going to happen. And every time you see that, it just sort of fails. And it's just a real waste of time and effort. My, my whole point at the beginning was we put so much into this. And to do that, we really have to justify that. We have to take every step possible to ensure we're going to get something back for that. Because it's not just a couple bucks, you know, it's not like we're dropping a dollar on a lottery ticket. And if we lose, no big deal. I mean, we're, we're investing serious capital into this. So why not set ourselves up to succeed? Why not take the time to plan for it and do it right? And, and you know, and, and that's, I think that's where you get, there, there isn't an easy way around that. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay. Um, you know, when I was doing my thesis, I was looking at heritage structures, which is perhaps the most complex area to incorporate them. And what was really great about that was their attitude was, you know, we don't think in terms of five or 10 years. We think in terms of centuries. So they said, you know, if this takes us 20 years to actually roll out and get up and running, that's You're fine. Lying. Yeah, because they said, you know, we have really limited resources, so we'd rather take our time and get it done right. I'm like, brilliant. Brilliant. We're, we're, then I'll go out and I'll, I'll talk to someone that has the capital right up front. Like, oh, oh we want this next week. It's like, well, then you're just going to throw your money down a pit. You might as well just buy everyone lunch with it because it's not going to help you. Yeah, this is in part the fault of also of the uh, aggressive marketing from software solutions that people understand if they employ or they, they, uh, they make a subscription to a software, they are doing them that, like that. They forget about the complexity of the entire supply chain, so many actors involved and it, the processes and everything, right? So it, they just w want a magic pill, but that won't happen. And there is another thing as well. Uh, now it's not just that we are not talking about BIM. We are trying to implement it. And not only that, if you are not doing it, you have many more than you that are doing it. And you will feel the difference in short time afterward because you will end up in, in uh, bidding in, in, uh, on projects where uh, clients will have requirements that you won't have the competency to deliver that. That is what is going to happen. I see this in Norway. So, and you, you are going to miss to, to, to uh, be left behind a lot. So this is a big risk. I, absolutely. There, there is a reality as everyone skills up, you know, because for most people, it'll be their first time doing this. But nonetheless, every year we see more and more people doing it. Now, when I've worked with clients who have wanted to proceed forward, part of our plan early on is saying, hey, listen, you know, we have, we have some internal work to do now. But before long in that outline, we have some major steps where, you know what? You have to go out to your supply chain and give them a heads up, you know, months in advance of the next project before bidding that this is what we're going to be looking for. This is what we're expecting. And hey, you know what? We're going to help you through this. So we have the, uh, the concept of doing a pilot project, identifying something where, you know what? 
people can fumble a little to get their footing because you have to have real ex- realistic expectations too. Again, just, just like anyone, no one is just going to magically show up day one and hit everything perfect. But the better we articulate it and the clearer we make it, the greater chance we have to succeed. And that's what we're talking about here. Give people the context they need to succeed. If I just say, hey, Petru, I've got, you know, I need something fixed at my house. Can you show up and take care of it? And that's all I give you. Can you? Do you have yeah. the right tools? Of I'd, course. Send me the money. You know. Send me the yeah. money. I'll come tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that'll be a million dollar scope. Thank you very much. But no, if I, if I said, you know, you know, Petru, my, my clothes dryer is broke. Can you come? Do you have the skills and tools necessary to fix that? And you might say, yeah, I know all about that. You might say, you know what? No, but I have a friend who can help you out with that. You know, and yet, and just the virtual nature of BIM with all these tools and augmented reality and everything we're doing, people lose sight of it. You have, think of it in terms of very physical tools, a hammer and saw. What are those tools used for? How do we apply them? And what is the problem we're applying to? Is that a viable solution? So once we've identified the problem, then we can select the right tools to fix the problem. So if I'm, if I'm doing plumbing, my kitchen sink is stopped up and you show up with your hammer and saw, that's not very helpful. It's not that those tools are bad or don't work. They're just not the right tools for what we need to accomplish. So how I'm thinking about this uh, because it's not a matter of it, if or not. It's definitely happening. If if you want to live in a parallel world, parallel universe, and you won't accept we live in denial, that's your problem. But it's happening anyway. What I think it's a big challenge for the companies because they don't don't understand the scope and the implications of this change. What um, would be um, sustainable way uh, of trying to 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 do this change would actually be to start okay forget about the software i need let me try to figure out do i have in-house people that have experience regarding this let's make let's make let's assess the situation and see do we have anybody that can do something regarding this otherwise Try to find out some consultants that can help you to, to lay a path for you. And after that, there is something else. That's the, just the beginning. Like companies need to be to start to, to be aware they are going to need new jobs. And namely for information managers that are going to do just this. This is going to be their job to manage information and to make sure that you have all the documents in place and to the right standard so you can still be uh, competitive on the market. What do you think what do you think about this? Oh, that's absolutely correct. And that, again, that's something I always mention to my clients because I I can take in their needs, I can interpret that, I can write up the documentation for it, but at some point I'm not their employee. I'm not going to be there every single day to manage this. So yes, they need someone internally to take care of this because it is going to be a full-time job once they take this up. Now, the key is that doesn't mean it's a new full-time employee, but it's definitely going to be a role shift for someone. But it's such a vital thing. And that person, I think the best, the best way to select that person is someone that's simply interested in it, 
sometimes early on in the days of BIM, what I saw was companies would thought, well, we have this new thing, so we're going to put our most experienced engineer on it. But that engineer had no interest in it and essentially wanted it to fail. But you need to t- take someone that says, you know what, that sounds interesting. I would like to look into that. And then they're going to need to go out. They're going to need to read up on the ISO and understand what that entails. And then there's a few certifications out there on the market. And, you know, progress with that. Because, again, this isn't, it isn't like we're going to flick a switch and they need to be in this role tomorrow. Because we're talking to several years to really roll this in and get up and running. So there is a, a bit of space there where we can all learn together. And then we'll know when we're ready to go live. That's an amazing point right there. Like, yeah, just place the most experienced guy that has no interest in that. And that's another reason why so many projects have failed adopting BIM and implementing BIM already. So that it's happening. It's, it happened before and it's still happening. Like you need to have people that want to work with this kind of stuff because it doesn't help you. If you don't have this interest, you don't, don't want to do this kind of job, you will fail or you won't do a good job. You won't get the best outcome of, of, from the situation, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why I made a, my point. What I'm really stressing is the legal and contractual things here that we have to update the contract to say, you know, as a client, this is what we're purchasing from you. Because all too far too often, the big fail is that it's is being viewed as something that's optional or nice to have. Or if we get to the end of the project and we have a ton of money left, maybe we'll look into it. And it's like, no, I am paying you to do this. And I need to, you know, again, if I pay you to come fix my clothes dryer and I get home and it's not working, I'm not going to pay you. But it's just spreading this awareness and helping the clients understand what they're purchasing and what that's used for. Yeah. What other challenges do you encounter in the talks you have, in the meetings you have with uh, your customers? Uh, it's, well, we, we touched on, first of all, people just assume I'm going to sell them a software license, even though I don't, <laughs> or, or, think, or thinking that's their solution. You know, if, if we run out to the store and just spend a lot of money on tools, we'll all be master tradesmen and we'll be able to fix that. Well, no. I said, I'm a cabinet maker. If you go in my closet right behind me, I have some very specialized tools you use only in woodworking, and I know how to apply them. But then there are other things where I'm pretty useless with. So first of all, understanding that. And then what I've really had to do as I've gone and done this for years and written these presentations is every, every time I find myself backing up, just, okay, so we really got it square one here. Let's understand what we're trying to accomplish, hence the message today. I mean, we're, we're trying to solve problems. We're trying to be efficient. So let's think about what that means. It isn't, you know, everyone wants to save money. But if you just want to save money, you go buy your paper goods in bulk. If it, what we're trying to do here is really get more value for our dollars, so we're spending it wisely. So it, you are going to get more, but it's not that our bills are going to be less. It's that we have this staff. So how do we apply them in a better way? How do we make better choices? How do we inform that? And if you look at it in the big picture, there are some very real success stories over there about how when people did follow this, it did happen. And that's the key to just making people realize that this is a commitment, that you can't just say, oh, well, we'll kind of try it and see if it works. Well, no, th- then, then you're planning to fail. Exactly. You know, then, then again, it's not worth even starting it. Yeah, 
I completely agree on that. Uh, can you uh, go back a little bit with your presentation? I had a point regarding something, but I would like to see that slide. Uh, sure. Do you know where or which? No, not so far. It was not something... so far. Through the middle somewhere. It was about, uh, you were talking about the, um, the need in, instead of keeping old documents. Maybe it was about the, um, uh, the airport in Germany. I, okay. I can't stop thinking uh, how, how easily it would have been if you have control over all these documents in one place, in a common data environment. It's mind-boggling. It, it, it really is. And... You know, I, I want to make the point too that that had we had that, that doesn't mean you're going to solve every problem and avoid every possible error, but it would greatly reduce it and eliminate many, and ideally just catch these little things like plastic wall anchors, because as long as we can reference that data, as long as we know where we're coming from and need to be going, that's really the value of it. Because how how many times that you start a new job or, you know. Just one day I show up to work and there's some project that's going this, and I'm thrown on it. And it's like, oh, hey, this project has been going on for a year. You've never heard of it before. But, you know, we have a deadline next week. So just hurry up and get it done. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, sure. You know, and and it's a real struggle because the person that has all that context, you need, it's in their head and they're out at client meetings all day. And, you know, because they're in a different city. And I'm here trying to cobble something together I've never seen before. And those are all sorts of intricacies you've never known. So if I had some place I could just easily reference that and pull it in and say, okay, I, I recognize that things were done here for a certain way, but I have no idea what that way is. So if I understand how, how I need to adhere to that and where I can vary and where I need to carry it to, then I can be much more successful. And I'm also being far more efficient and so when I put those billable hours on the timesheet, you know, we're really getting much more value for that. I'm not just burning time. I'm actually producing something. And, and not only that, what is very important here, and it, I will connect this with my next point. It's not only for what you do today. It's not only about only the project you are working on. It's about the big picture, what you are going to do in 20 years, how you are. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, who doesn't like the idea of making tomorrow easier than today? That's really what we're trying to do. We're just trying to make our own lives easier. And is anyone really against that? And it's just, you know, let, let's take a few minutes and get things in order now. And once you get that, you have essentially that domino effect. Or once you put it in order, it will become more self-sustaining and it will make your life easier down the road. And eventually you're going to leave that job and someone else is going to come in. And rather than them having to reinvent the wheel or just miss very obvious things that you would have known, they'll have it at their fingertips in a usable way. And they can contribute to that rather than having to start from scratch. Yeah. Uh, I remember what I wanted to make a point about. It, it was about the cost of BIM. You showed at some point, you mentioned the cost of BIM, that BIM is expensive. Do you, did you have a slide or it was a, just a point to some other picture? It was just a point because okay. there's just too many variables, Matt, depending on the size of your organization, what you're trying to accomplish. I really can't 
put a figure on that, what we really have to do is look at, you know, what are you spending on your operations now, essentially? Where are you just leaking money? And how can BIM provide a solution to plug that leak? And yes, it is an investment upfront. You know, if say you're in manufacturing and you need a new, new distribution center in the Midwest of the USA, well, you know, you're going to spend millions of dollars to build that distribution center, but you're doing it because you get your products out easier and better. And in the big picture, it'll generate more revenue and greater profits. So you invest that money because it's going to be a positive for your business. And that's what BIM should be. It's not just, we're going to do this because we have money to burn. It's we're going to look at it critically and say, where will BIM be a positive on our operations, on our efficiency? Oh my God. Because it's still possible to do BIM and just, if you don't capture it right or do it right, or maybe it's just not worth the effort in a particular spot. That's why we need to think it through and say, okay, what is this really going to accomplish for us? And then green light it where it needs to go. Well, of course, it's going to be a little bit expensive and you are going to need to invest if you want to become better. But the, the return on the long term is going to be invaluable compared to this. And because let's just think a little bit, yes, uh, like this is going to lead, like if you have something that you have much better uh, quality of, of data, you are going to be um, in, you know, facility management, for example, you can, you can get to a point where you can work uh, uh, preemptively uh, to prevent things instead of uh, working reactively and fixing things. That's the ideal for uh, uh, maintainers. And uh, on top of that, I'm talking about transforming your building in a digital twin and with sensors and everything, and you can monitor everything. Of course, not, not overnight. That's a, pro a long process. You are going to need people to do this thing, but you are going to, to save a lot of other, uh, other, uh, um, uh, bigger bigger sums some some other uh, places where because you are going to do a much more efficient work you will have have less fails and not only that the how you take the decisions the information you will have at your disposal to get decisions these de decisions are going to save you lots and lots of money oh absolutely absolutely um you know what let, let me Right, right before we went live, I pulled out a slide from another presentation that wasn't part of this, but I thought this might come up. So let sure. me flip to that because I think it'll illustrate this really well. And this is something I saw in someone else's presentation. I don't have the source right at my fingertips, but if anyone wants it, please reach out to me because I will credit the person appropriately. But this was a case study from a hospital. A hospital. And look at really the middle tab there where they there was this infectious risk assessment they have to do 200 times per year. Now, I actually don't even know what that means, but the numbers there, before BIM, it was taking them 152 hours per review. Once they defined this and put it in the BIM process, they sliced that time in half and ended up saving nearly 16,000 hours per year, which is nearly eight full-time employees. Now, this is one specific task and th think about that, eight full-time employees. I mean, that is so massive. So we can say that, is that worth investing some capital? I think yes. And that's, 
you know, and that's one year. So, okay, so eight full-time employees per year for, you know, think about five, 10 years out. So this is what I'm saying when well, we have hard proof that this does work, but this hospital, they clearly took some time to think this through and set it up properly. They didn't just say, hey, contractor, give me some BIM. No, they, they really had to think about, you know what? This infectious risk assessment, it's a real burden on our operations. There must be a better way to go about this. And we're willing to invest to get that return. And I would argue they did. And I'm also going to argue that anyone can get this sort of return relative to their operations if they take the time to follow the process and set it up correctly. If they just say, hey, you know, when you're done, can you give us that 3D model? No, it doesn't work that way. It's going to absolutely fail. Yeah. I have a guess, a hunch that this hospital is from Finland. And uh, if that is, this, is the, that one, uh, they also end up um, saving some billions of euros in, uh, in the, for, the, for the future. They will save billions of euros as well. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's amazing, yeah, the potential, especially in such special structures like hospitals, especially because there it's very high efficiency required in coordination and uh, everything is very costly. Now, uh, tell me, Andrew, how can you help companies? Let's say there are some companies um, uh, interesting. They, they want to know more about what we discussed here. How can you help them? Well, th the first thing is just reach out to me. I'm going to set up a little time to just do some really BIM 101. You're an owner. You have some facilities or whatever. What, what does that mean? Let's just talk about you specifically, your operations and what's going on there and what BIM may or may not do for you. And then from there, we just need, essentially just need to dip your toe in the water to get a realistic assessment of what it's going to involve on your part, which is actually a pretty serious upfront investment of time and money. But as we see here, we're doing that because it pays off. It's always the thing. And then if you like that idea, if it seems reasonable, which it usually is, then, then we go through and we start discussing, you know, we need to start speaking with people, capturing what's going on, what's working, what isn't, and so forth. And gen we'll generate a master plan from that or how we roll this out, where the first thing to do is get information requirements and document it. Then we need to set up some internal processes. We do need to start speaking with the vendors as we identify what your real needs are. We need to begin looking at the tools because you will need to invest in tooling. I mean, I don't want to sound all negative because I know many of the people that work at these companies and there are great products out there. We just need to identify the right one for your needs because this all sort of happens concurrently. And then we trial it internally. We do a live test project where everyone has some wiggle room to fail a bit. And this is really a multi-year process here. And then through that, we can constantly refine and understand and tune it into our needs. Because quite often, what we need, we think today, you know, once we get there tomorrow, we turn out, you know what, that isn't quite what we needed at all. It was actually this we're looking for. So, okay, how do we adjust that and make it work? So it's, it's a bit lengthy, but it really starts with just some education and understanding. What I find is that most people, they just have questions, a lot of questions, and it's not you know, they don't want a salesman. They just want someone to say, hey, can you just explain this to me? They're not looking for a fancy presentation. Just tell me what's going on here because I have no clue and someone's chewing my hair off about this. 
and we begin there. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, are you addressing on, only uh, for, to facility management companies, uh, asset owners, or you, can you help also uh, general contractors or designers or architecture firms? Oh, no, I, I can help. But my focus is always on the owner because that's where this really all begins. But then that comes down to, say, you're a contractor, you're an architect, you're whoever, and here's your very first time. You know, this is a client you've been doing work with for years, and they say, Okay, everyone, the next project moving forward, all of our facilities, we're going to start following ISO 19650. You're like, what does that mean? I've never even heard of this before. So how, how as we, you get that EIR, how do you interpret this? What does that mean for you? What do you have to change internally? And the short answer, it does require a bit of effort, but it's not as bad as you think. And the good news is that once you've made that transition, you're really well positioned to take on a lot more work like this. Now, I can tell you, I have spoken to, in the Chicago area, I've spoken to some people at some of the bigger contractors around, and some of them have really invested heavily. I mean, heavily in BIM technologies. What they told me is they barely have an opportunity to use it, and they're actually dying to use it. Like, they want to, you know, they want to hit the pedal to the metal and really max this stuff out. And they're eager for these opportunities. And, and they know that it's not their thing to understand everything or hit it right the first time, but say, we've made this investment, we're sitting here ready. Can we just put it to use already? So I, you know, and I'm, I'm in Chicago, which, you know, being in the Midwest, we're a bit more isolated from the coasts and Europe is a bit more advanced. But that's still the message I get is that there are people eager to learn and move forward with this. And then actually earlier this summer, I talked with someone at the BSI, uh, British Standards Institute, so who issues this ISO. And even though it's a British company, they still have offices throughout the globe and in the U.S. in particular. And they were telling me that they were actually stunned at how many contractors have contacted them to become certified in the new ISO. Like, like they sort of put it out there and didn't think anyone was going to come. And suddenly everyone's knocking down their door. And it's not like that's everyone, but far more than expected and that's with you know little to no advertising so these are all very positive indicators yeah so before long we are going to have a set of very qualified individuals out there and it's one of those things like anyone you know it's like some years ago color tv was a new thing and you can make the argument well what's the point of having a color tv because nothing's been filmed in color yet but over the years it, it builds and now it's more of a novelty to watch something in black and white and it'll be the same thing. Everyone's transitioning their operations. So yes, if they have questions about what that means, or they want to interpret something, or they get some BIM documentation, which is questionable, because quite often it is. So what does that really mean? What are they actually obligated to? Because again, what you're being asked to do versus what the contract says is unfortunately two very different things these days. And until that gets rectified, we're going to continue to have these problems and these missteps. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Andrew. Uh, if you can scroll down back to the last um, slide where you have your contact information. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how uh, would you like uh, somebody to reach out to you? You know, the best method these days is just please hit me up direct LinkedIn. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. Pretty good at responding. And then you can also check out my experience and anything else that's pertinent. I'd be happy to get back to you. Awesome.
thank you for taking the time and uh, for coming along for uh, this uh, very nice chat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Petra. It's always fun. And thank you for being so patient when pulling this together. <laughs> Don't worry. Amazing. Thank you.